Good evening. Thank you for coming. We will continue discussing of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. And we will begin by going over a few more points of the 37th Anucheta and then move, move forward this particular section of the uh, Paramatma Sandarbha dealing with uh, the intrinsic qualities of the Jiva. 21 are given, and this is the last of those Anuchetas dealing with those 21 qualities, although this particular quality, the alikeness and the difference of the Paramatma and the Jiva, is going to be covered, finished up in this 37th Anucheta, but the, the subject is carried forward into the next uh, seven Anuchetas. Uh, just so that we have a clear understanding of the distinctiveness between how we are not God, but we also are God. Achinta beta beta tatva, simultaneously one in difference. So we've been on this subject for a couple evenings now. And there's a couple points I just want to go over in the direct anucheta and a couple points from the uh, commentary. So we'll read those points. This is uh, directly a statement from Jiva Goswami in regards to um, explaining the verse, a verse that Krishna spoke in the Bhagavad Gita from the 14th chapter. Those who, this is Krishna's statement, those who by resorting to knowledge have attained sameness with my nature and qualities are not born again at the time of creation, nor are they distressed at the time of dissolution. So in regards to this verse, Jiva writes the following and then carries on giving a little bit more evidential knowledge from uh, scripture, uh, particularly the uh, Vedanta Sutra, the Brahma Sutra. Remember the Vedanta Sutra is basically the compilation of the, of the key elements of the Vedas as they relate to uh, spirituality. So to understand directly the, the, the Upanishadic statements from the Vedas uh, is some, sometimes very difficult. They're kind of like codes. And uh, the Vedanta Sutra is kind of like the decoder ring that allows us to, to have some insight into what Tattvamasi means or Aham Brahmasmi. Because these statements are very, you know, can be taken in a lot of different ways, depending on your spiritual perspective. So therefore, Srila Vyasadeva compiled the Vedanta Sutra to help us navigate our way to the core meaning that that's given in these statements of the uh, of the Vedas. And then those statements, that statement, that compilation of an explanation of the core spirituality presented in the Vedas is further elaborated on by various teachers in a specific way. And those commentaries on the Vedanta Sutra sometimes can be so significant by various sadhus and saints, acharyas, that a whole lineage of spiritual practitioners will adopt that 
interpretation or presentation of the Vedanta Sutra. And when that happens, a sampradaya is born. So, basically, there are four main sampradayas that are coming down. And one of the core elements of the theistic understanding of a particular sampradaya is their commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. So, I'm sure you've heard it, but we'll just go over it again because it's very much core to our understanding. We understand that the Vedanta Sutra was compiled by the author of the Vedas themselves. Now, when we say author, of course, the author of the Vedas is, is Krishna himself. But we speak of author being someone who took the time to write it down. Well, in this particular interest, inter, uh, instance, to at least speak it. So he, uh, Srila Vyasadeva, spoke the Vedas and uh, he had a scribe uh, working for him who said, well, as long as you keep speaking, I'll keep writing. So Ganesh put himself forward and offered this service to Srila Vyasadeva. So Vyasadeva spoke the Vedas and Ganesh wrote them down. So he also, as I said, he also gave us the Vedanta Sutra. And then he presented the Mahabharata. He presented the Mahabharata for people that aren't qualified to study the Vedas, specifically sudras, women, people that don't normally take uh, uh, mantra, diksha. They don't take the sacred thread. And without accepting the sacred thread and being initiated into a lineage, um, you're not considered qualified to study the Vedas. So uh, that kind of formality is observed observed in, in Vedic tradition. Well, then what about the spirituality for the rest of us? <laughs> you know, the Yavanas, the Malachas, the people that are just kind of left out. We have no qualification to study the Vedas. So Vyasadeva didn't leave us out. He gave us the, the Mahabharata. It's a nice story, but in the story, there's a lot of spiritual significance. And in the heart, in the very center of the Mahabharata, he gives us Krishna's, he's provided for us, Krishna's dialogue with Arjuna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. And that's just full of the knowledge of the Upanishads. So it's like the heart of spiritual knowledge right there in the middle of this great epic um, cultural uh, presentation of all kinds of, of stories that just they simply enthrall us. Imagine a culture where you didn't have TV to watch in the evening, where you didn't have, you know, didn't have to uh, places to go out and, uh, you know, party with your friends. Or go out. 
you didn't have any of that in your culture. So it wasn't those people of those times before these modern um, times where we have all amenities, they didn't go out, they didn't go on with life without sufficient entertainment in the evenings. They had entertainment. They got together and they heard the stories of the Mahabharata again and again and again. And every time it was told, it was more exciting and more, you know, according to the speaker, they would be completely enthralled. And that was the, for the common man. That was for the common person, you know. And of course, the Brahmins and the, and the Kshatriyas and the Vaishyas, they could take initiation, a spiritual initiation, according to the culture. And they were allowed to actually read you know, the Vedas themselves and, uh, and derive some knowledge from that. But for the rest of us, there's the Mahabharata with the Bhagavad Gita in the center. And then... On YouTube. And then what happened was Srinivasadeva he also compiled the Srimad Bhagavatam and other Puranas. And the Srimad Bhagavatam was his, in, in the estimation of our Sampradaya, his natural commentary on the Vedanta Sutra because it brought out all the, the main, main points of the Vedanta Sutra. So therefore, for the, for the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, and especially the followers of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they did not see a necessity for a, a bhashya, a, a commentary on Vedanta Sutra. They had one. They had the Srimad Bhagavatam. So Srimad Bhagavatam contained all the elements of the Vedanta Sutra in a Puranic form, which is in a, in a form that makes it easily accessible. So we don't put a lot of emphasis on, in our Sampradaya, uh, a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. But that doesn't mean we don't have one. In that day, one wasn't immediately put forward by the Gaudiya Vaishnavas until the necessity was detected within the greater community to adopt the cultural spiritual standard because Lord Chaitanya was doing something that was extraordinary. He had started, irrespective of the formalities of a commentary, because generally starting a Sampradaya, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would have been expected to write a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. He didn't. He just chanted Hare Krishna. <laughs> and he had some personal discussions with his primary disciples uh, regarding the practice of Krishna consciousness. But he let his disciples do the preaching and do the writing. And, and you know, aside from these, you know, private conversations, one would say, he wasn't his preaching was his kirtan. That was his primary means of inaugurating the, the Hare Krishna movement. He let Balaram do the heavy lifting. 
So he let Bal, he told Balaram, you go and preach. And you can't come and visit me every year in Jagannath Puri. You have to continue to preach. You just stay away. And Balaram tried to follow that as much as he could. But once in a while he'd come to the annual four months that all the other Bengalis came. So we don't emphasize. The Sampradaya was not emphasizing and didn't feel the necessity for a commentary on Vedanta Sutra. But it was apparent from what had come from the lips of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that he had something to add to the the total presentation of theology up to the point of his manifestation in human society. He had a, he had a major contribution to give and he was giving that through his most intimate disciples, specifically the Goswami, specifically Rupa and Sanatan Goswami, were the immediate recipients of his instructions who immediately took up the, the task of writing. But eventually, because of the significance of his Sankraton contribution and the significance of his theistic contributions to the deeper significance of the Srimad Bhagavatam as the primary means of entering into spirituality. If we really look to what the Gaudiya Vaishnavas accept, we accept Srimad Bhagavatam as the, as the sun around which all the other literatures uh, revolve. If you really look, they take and, and they all point towards the Srimad Bhagavatam as providing everything. Well, what about that commentary on the Vedanta Sutra that all the other Sampradayas demand in order to have a, an acceptance into the uh, higher echelons of spirituality in, in the culture of the day? Oh, okay. So the Vaishnavas at one point, they realized I guess we have to conform with the with what the normal action is, and let us uh, put forward Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's uh, great contributions uh, to the the Vedantic thought. Uh, we need to present a, a commentary on Vedanta Sutra. So they they got together and they asked one devotee, Baladeva Vidyabhushan, could you please write one for us? I don't have any. Are you kidding me? How could I possibly, possibly write a commentary on Vedanta Sutra putting all the knowledge that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's given to his Sangha of, of followers? I, I, I'm totally incompetent to do that. So, but if... If if some if if I could get some help, I could probably do it. So he got some help. The Vedanta Sutra was dictated to him. It's called the Govinda Bhashya. Govinda was dictated to him what to write for a Vedanta Sutra commentary. So we have our commentary on Vedanta Sutra, which is the Govinda Bhashya Baladev Vidyabhushan. We're talking about sameness here from the Bhagavad Gita. Jiva Goswami writes in regards to this verse from Bhagavad Gita, 
that those who by resorting to knowledge have attained sameness with my nature and qualities. We kind of touched upon that. Sameness of nature means we think alike. Doesn't we mean we're the same thing? It means we are of the same purpose. We we have the same we have the same desires. And that's the sameness that's spoken about in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So Jiva writes here, therefore statements such as the knower Brahman becomes Brahman indeed indicates that such a knower specifically attains sameness of nature, tad atmya, with Brahman. This is to say that the transrational intuition of the Supreme self manifests of its own accord in correspondence with the specific intent of the worshiper. So, attainment of the inherent nature of the Supreme is in accordance with the principle outlined in Brahma Sutra. And here's a quote from Vedanta Sutra, which got us here to discussing Vedanta Sutra. The aspired for result of a person's contemplation manifests in exact accordance with his or her conviction because such a position is logically justifiable. So this is from this is a statement from the Vedanta Sutras. So you could see it's a it's a very heavy theistic presentation. So the aspired for result, what you aspire for in your contemplation, in your in your in your spiritual contemplation, what you desire as your ideal, uh, manifests in exact accordance with, with his or her conviction because such a position is logically justifiable. So logically justifiable is an important aspect of this statement. It's not that you think Krishna is a caterpillar, or the Lord is a caterpillar, or you have some some illogical frame of reference as to the ultimate attainment in spirituality, like everyone becomes butterflies, or you know, I mean, people can come up with some some really far out things when they have these, you know, their 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 conceptions of God. But that's not what Vedanta Sutra is talking about. What's logically justifiable, meaning justifiable based on logic, which is based on something that is, is sound. And sound and just means what's presented in the Shastra. So it's not that you just make it up as you go along. You can have your own ideal, but... Your ideal is based on an ideal that's put forth by a specific sampradaya, from a, a specific idea of thought. And your istadev, your ideal, the deva of your desire, your ultimate spiritual attainment, it comes in relationship to, what's it say, in correspondence with the specific Intent of the worshiper. So intent means a lot. How we worshiped, and you you touched upon that. How how we think of of the supreme. How we conceive 
of the supreme whatever that conception may be has a lot to do with what we what what we attain so uh, and we would argue justifiably according to our logic that the one statement in the Bhagavatam, which is the natural commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, that makes the most sense is Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam. If you want to talk about the topmost manifestation of the supreme conceivable that, that you could possibly, whatever you could conceive as the most, as far as the supreme is, the supreme attainable object, Krishna to Bhagavan Swayam. That Krishna is that supreme Bhagavan. That, and what's he encompassed? He's the sweetness. What's Krishna mean? Krishna, Bhagavan means he has all potencies. Bhagavan means a lot. Just the word Bhagavan that entails so much of what is the supreme. But then if we say Krishna is that topmost conception of Bhagavan, what are we saying? Well, we're saying that really if you want to talk about God and his super supremacy, that's okay. You can use the word Bhagavan, but what about his sweetness? You have to say Krishna then because Krishna is all attractive. Krishna, Krishna embodies the sweetness even even more than what could be there in the conception of Bhagavan as the possessor of all qualities. And what is that sweetness? Well, that sweetness is in where he lives. He lives in the best place. He's made his own playground. This is God in his supreme playground. So he's 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 in there. He's he's conceived of the of the topmost ideal of loving exchanges, and he is his form is is the sweetest. He has the sweetest associates, and he plays the flute in a very sweet way. So these madurias, these sweetnesses that are that are only there in Krishna, these four characteristics, um, this is our Krishna. This is what our sampradaya puts forth as a topmost conception. But you can you can accept some other conception. We'll argue that this is the topmost conception. This is our understanding. Prema Madhurya, Leela Madhurya, Rupa Madhurya, and Venu Madhurya. These four sweetnesses of Krishna's specific characteristics. Jiva goes on. It has therefore been established that the Jiva is the potency of Paramatma. Sometimes the two are described as being without distinction. Because, and then he gives three characteristics of why they're the same. There's a mutual inner penetration 
of energy and energetic. So when you have an energetic source, an energy comes from that source. So there's some some very something very much alike between the source and the energy that comes from it. So that interpenetration between the two is is shows that shows a characteristic of no distinction. Uh, two, energy could not exist without its energetic source. So there's dependence there between the source and the energy. And three, energy and energetic are non-distinct from the point of view that both are of the nature of consciousness in relation to spiritual being. Nevertheless, it also is not improper to describe them as different because varieties of energy can be seen even in a single object. We are alike, but we're not alike in that we're just one aspect of the energy of the Supreme, and he has many aspects, many energies. A couple other things that Jiva says in this Anucheta. It is also said in the Gita, you pervade everything, and so you are everything. That's from the 11th chapter. The scriptures instruct non-difference to those who desire gyan, but to those who desire bhakti, they exclusively instruct difference. So again, the scriptures are 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 just like what we went over just before. According to your spiritual conception, you may you may look at the scripture. You and I can read the same scripture, and if you're a Brahmavadi, you're going to point at, you're going to go to those particular verses your mind is naturally going to be attracted because of of the of the samskaras the impressions the spiritual impressions that you have to to take those statements as the most prominent that we're alike that we are the supreme you are that tatwamasi you may interpret it you are that and the and the bhakti bhakti will say well, no, you are his. So, uh, you know, Guru Maharaj made a, makes an interesting point of that in in his classes, that, that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu knew that he was taking sannyas from a Mayavadi sannyasi, a follower of Sankaracharya. So he knew he'd be given a mantra. This mantra would be explained, Tatvamasi, you are that. So before he took mantra initiation, he said, oh, well, I know you're going to give me this tatwamasi, and my understanding is, is that you, you are his. So he initiated his guru before he took the mantra from him, is the way Swami explains it. So he was able to... Uh, to get the mantra delivered to him with this higher conception according to our understanding, the Vaishnava understanding. As I said, this is an extremely long anicheta, and I'm just pulling out a couple parts here to try to finish it up. Therefore, Bhagavad Gita also affirms the eternality of the jiva's identity as an integrated part of Paramatma. 
from the 15th chapter. The living being, Jiva, in, his condi- in this conditional world is an eternal integrated part of me alone. And so the Jiva is described as being a part both collectively as well as individually. Sri Sukha speaks of the collective or aggregate Jiva, Samasti Jiva, as follows. And then there's a quote from the third canto. This Hiranyagarbha is the self of all beings. He is a portion of Paramatma and the original avatar in whom all creatures are made to appear. Sridhar Swami comments on this. The word sattva here refers to the living beings and not to all existing things. This Hiranyagarbha is the self of all living beings because the individual beings are his parts. The word amsa, a part, means the jiva. The word avatar is used with the intent of saying that Bhagavan Narayan manifests in the samasta jiva. So this conception of Haranyagarbha can be seen as Jiva's saying here, uh, and according to Sridhar Swami, he's quoted Sridhar, so he's, he's taking that as his support, that the, the Haranyagarbha manifestation of the Supreme really can also, is a manifestation of the conglomerate of all jivas in in a material manifestation in one uh, globe-like. So we have this Hiranyagarbha avatar, which is actually uh, a jiva comprising of all the jivas. And then also Narayan manifests as what? Well, he's He's in every living entity, Sarvashya Chahamridi Sadivisto. So I'm seated in every everyone's heart. So he's also in the heart of that jiva who is the who comprises all the jivas. It's hard to wrap your mind around what what what's trying to be conveyed here, but the fact is as we've gone over, really the jivas are what animates the material universe. And the Lord comes along to assist us and to to provide for us and to protect us. And if we can turn our consciousness and see what is actually the nature of the material manifestation, we're the ones that ones that that relate to it and truly it doesn't have a necessity in regards to the Supreme, except for the Supreme, as Srila Jiva Goswami's already pointed out, except for the Jiva, except for Paramatma aspect of the Supreme Lord, providing an opportunity for his devotees to continue their devotion. Because not everyone may finish up when there's time for, for a seasonal change, so to speak. The universe has ran its course and now it's going to, all the universes enter back into the supreme and then he manifests them again. It's a continual cycle of life coming and going, life and death. 
So just as that, that happens in our individual body, it also happens in, in the collective universal manifestation. It comes, it stays for some time, grows, dwindles, and it dies. And there's devotees that that didn't complete their sadhana. <laughs> they hadn't yet attained the stage of, of pure love yet. So, well, I need to manifest the universe again so that they can complete their devotional service to me and, and also attain liberation. So from the commentary, I just highlighted a couple things. He says here, and this is Sachin Narayan Das Babaji, the jiva is called the intermediary energy, the Tasta Shakti, because it cannot be subsumed, sub, subsumed under either of the two other two categories. Being conscious, it cannot be part of the material or extrinsic energy, because it's it's conscious, it's not dead. And being influenced or and being influenced by Maya, it cannot be counted with the intrinsic energy or in the same category as Paramatma, who's ever transcendental to Maya. So that's our position. Although material energy can exert a lot of force over us, you know, Adiatmic, Adibaudic, Adidaivic, these different potencies you could call. Uh, it exerts a lot of potency, it's still, we're never going to become inert. We're never going to become unconscious. We're never going to lose out entirely to, to that which has no consciousness. So in one respect, we can't become material because that's, that's not what we're made of. We're made of consciousness. We're a spiritual part of the Supreme. But we're never going to fully become the supreme in so much as we can be controlled by the external energy. So we're not really Paramatma fully, but we're definitely not Maya fully. So that's what is being brought out here. Then it says, why, do, why then does Scripture Sastra speak of both oneness and difference? Sri Jiva Goswami reasons that the Scriptures do so in order to instruct two different kinds of people, namely, namely jnanis and bhaktis, bhaktis. Jnanis aspire to realize their oneness with the Absolute, whereas the bhaktis long for loving exchanges with Bhagavan. It should again be noted that the oneness spoken of in the scriptures is not absolute identity. The Bhagavatam verse, and this is that last verse, cited in this section is spoken by the sage Maitreya to Vidura. It describes the cosmic being, Haranyagarbha, who is the self of all living beings in the universe. The gro gross universal form called Virat consists of 23 elements, which include Mahatattva, Ahankar, Manas, and the ten senses and the five tanmantras and the five mahabhutas. So you know what all these things are, right? I don't remember the term. Okay. So the mahatattva is the aggregate of all material potentiality. Okay, that it's like that 
the, the energy that that can manifest when it it's it's the next manifestation above Pradhan, which is you know that in unmanifested potentiality then when we have the the conglomerate of the material elements all all together that's considered mahatattva then you have ahankar which is false ego very subtle but that's what allows us the conscious being to take on the material energy as our very self and accept the material body as our being and accept the particular species of life as i am this and you know the whole the whole buy-in to material energy is is facilitated through a hunkar. Then you have manas, which is the mind, which is that that regulator that's constantly working, a needle going back and forth, accept, reject, accept, reject, reject, accept, reject, accept, mm -hmm. back and forth. Doesn't matter what we're in the middle of, our mind is always there to say yes and no to us and give us a thousand reasons why and a thousand more why nots. And it's a continual, wow, to get it under control would be a great thing. Arjuna said, how can I do it? It's like the wind. It's I don't see any possibility. And Krishna said, yeah, you're right. But you can keep practicing, constant practice and detachment. You'll get a hang of it. It's It'll become less and less. Constant practice for us as bhaktas means constantly we're chanting the holy name. We we every day we get up and we chant attentively and you know we perform devotional practice and we hang out with devotees. We have good sangha. We hear sadhus. We read the scriptures. We serve the deities. We take prasadam. We take the mercy of the the devotees and the, and the you know the mercy of the deity in the form of prasadam, the mercy of the guru in the form of his his foot dust, and the water that washes his feet, and the remnants from his plate. So these things, you know, stop that little meter from flipping back and forth so much for it on us, you know. We can gradually gain control and, of the mind. Um, so, manas, the mind, the ten senses, so we know the ten senses, uh, the five ton mantras, the objects of the senses, the knowledge acquiring senses. So, we have ten senses, five knowledge acquiring and five working senses. So, of the five knowledge acquiring, well, there has to be something to, for them to, to take that information from. So, for the ear, it is sound vibration, and for the eye, it is, it is light. And for so these are the ton mantras, what the senses perceive. There's five of those because they relate to the knowledge acquiring ability, our cognitive awareness of, of the environment that we're in, and the five mahabhutas: earth, water, fire, mm -hmm. air. Earth, water, fire, air, ether. Ether is also the, the subtlest of the gross Mahabhutas, the gross material elements. The subtle universal form is Haranyagarbha, within which, within which all jivas are contained. 
Bhagavan Narayan, or Paramatma, enters the jivas by his Kriya Shakti, awakening their karmic inheritances and combines the elements. The cosmic being is called an avatar in this verse because Bhagavan Narayan manifests himself therein as Garbhodakshai Vishnu. So this is the, the conception of the Garbhodakshai Vishnu, this, this manifestation of the Lord, which is, well, the Antaryami Samasti Guru of the universe itself and the individualized Paramatma, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, I'm in the heart of every living entity. Uh, what is it? Sarvashya Chaham Riddhi Sunny I'm seated in the heart of every living. Matashmritir Janama Bohanam Cha. Remembrance and forgetfulness, it's coming from me. It's what it says here. The karmic karmic inheritances were being reminded hmm, you wanted this now you have been given based on your prior actions the facilities to realize that inheritance it might be good it might be bad you may be born the son of a king or you may be born in a ghetto Go f whatever that this is your inheritance based on what you've done in prior lives. Now you're going to reap what you sowed. You may be born in a heavenly planet, or you may be born in a hellish planet, or you may have to be born in this planet and work like an ass. <laughs> you know, blood, sweat, and tears here. You know, I mean, if you really look at it, we're thinking, well, we're living in this great modern civilization. Step back a bit and look at the history. Look through all the history books. Look at what what's happened. Just in the you know, in the in the uh, in the Christian era, just back that far. War, pestilence, famine, you know, drought, disease. Look at it from that viewpoint. You know, it's 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 a pretty bleak picture. We've made it. Humanity is, has slogged through all that, you know, but, you know, the second, the second it seems to be, wow, this is great. We've finally got here, you know, and then what do you have? You have some other major, you know, what is it? a civil war will come and then brother will have to kill brother. You know, what an upheaval in modern society, or, or again, the First World War, the Second World War. I mean, and what mankind can do to mankind, and what nature can do to mankind. And, yeah, we're, we're thinking, well, it's pretty nice right now, but how long is it going to endure? You know? It's not nice if you're in Wilmington, North Carolina. <laughs> So that brings us to a conclusion of the 37th Anucheta. Just so happens that that's where the clock is right now, so I guess we won't get into the next ones. I will take a few questions if there's any, otherwise we'll...
Thank you for your association. I'll stop there. Thank you very much.